It's April 4th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got three briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First, an update on the Chinese spy balloon saga from a couple months ago, plus how the Chinese are likely using our seaports to spy on us, too. Second, grab a map and get out your passports because we are off to Asia this morning with stops in the Philippines and a very mysterious island off the southern coast of the country of Myanmar. As you will see, events there will likely impact lives here in America. Finally, a sober lesson from the COVID pandemic to tell you about. Do you remember that strange series of very severe disease and deaths that struck children over the past couple of years? It was affecting their livers and uh, scientists couldn't figure out why. I've got answers for you this morning. Later, we close out the podcast with one last thing. It's a personal reflection over the arraignment of former U.S. President Donald Trump. That's going to be happening in just the next couple of hours. But I think that there's a much bigger story here, and I'm going to share that with you shortly. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. In the global game of spy versus spy, there is one country that is putting the United States back on its heels, and that country is China. And I've got two pieces of news for you on that front. First, do you remember the Chinese spy balloon saga in January and February? To refresh our memories on that, a mysterious balloon was spotted over Alaska on January 28th. Then, after passing through Canada, it crossed the entire continental United States from Montana to the Carolinas, where it was shot down by the U.S. military on February 4th. So there was a lot of confusion at first about the exact nature of that balloon. China said it was a weather balloon, just capturing meteorological data. Well, the U.S. military and intelligence community said, uh, no, that is a spy balloon. But at the time, the U.S. Pentagon also said that the intelligence that the spy balloon picked up was, quote, inconsequential, end quote, and in fact, no different than from what uh, China collects in spy satellites. Meanwhile, Joe Biden added that, quote, it's not a major breach, end quote, dismissing the entire balloon, well, fiasco as no big deal. Well, as it turns out, yesterday we learned that the assessments by Mr. Biden and the U.S. military, well, they weren't exactly true. So here's what we know based on reports from NBC News that I've actually also confirmed with my own sources. So when the spy balloon first reached Montana, it hovered above Maelstrom Air Force Base, where the U.S. stores some of its nuclear assets. And I want you to listen to this. The balloon began performing figure eight circles above the base. In other words, the wind was not driving that thing. And in fact, it was collecting something called signals intelligence, which is just a very fancy way of saying it was capturing the electronic communications from the airwaves used by military personnel and their cell phones or radios. It was also collecting communications going to or from the nuclear weapon systems on the military base. But to make matters worse, all of that intelligence was relayed back to Beijing in real time. 
although the White House is this morning denying that piece of information. But regardless, when local media in Montana broke that story of this very strange balloon, the Chinese government apparently sent a signal to the balloon's engines to pick up the pace, to speed out of the area and out of the United States as fast as possible because they had been discovered. Now, interestingly, the balloon had this self-destruct mechanism on it. It's unclear why it wasn't used in this case, possibly because it malfunctioned or China believed that it was a, well, the balloon was a good test to see how the Americans would respond to their, uh, the weather balloon. So that is the latest on the spy balloon saga, ladies and gentlemen. Let me now pivot from facts and data to my analysis and opinion offered to you as a former intelligence officer. So China folks gained three things from this balloon episode. First, they learned something about the current American leadership. They learned that Biden and his team are willing to let novel pieces of military equipment pass over the U.S. territory completely unbothered. Second, the world saw that the U.S. is willing to let this happen and that it suggests, fair or not, that we were weak. Finally, the Chinese gained targeting information about our nuclear weapon systems and personnel. So let me tell you about that last part. The Chinese now have a better sense of the people involved in our nuclear arsenal, and I promise you, they will use it for targeting purposes. In other words, they will work to identify these military personnel, find them out in the world, befriend them, and then recruit them as spies. And I say that because I know this adversary very well. Beijing is ruthless and they are good and they let nothing go to waste. More to come on this, folks, as the Pentagon and FBI and CIA continue to collect and evaluate this spy balloon. But, you know, while they're at it, they might want to take a closer look at another piece of Chinese equipment, which is installed in 80 percent of America's seaports. So here's that story. Republicans in the House of Representatives announced yesterday that they are set to hold hearings and demand intelligence on Chinese cranes that have been installed in, yes, over 80% of America's ports. And it's not just the, the metal cranes of concern. It's, it's also the software that operates these cranes that move goods off of ships and into the American economy. Now, at first blush, you might not think that this is a big deal, but just consider this. Those 80% of America's ports with these Chinese-controlled gear process $5.4 trillion worth of commercial goods coming in and out of this country each year. And if those cranes were to be, say, cyber-attacked or sabotaged by Beijing, perhaps during a time of war, well, those cranes would stop working. And that would be the end of 80% of not just the commercial goods in America's economy. It would be a bottleneck also to the military equipment that we would need to be shipping off to battles abroad. So that, folks, is as reported yesterday by the Wall Street Journal. By the way, the Chinese crane company involved, it's called ZPMC. Well, they control the cranes of not just 80% of America's ports, but about 70% of the entire world's port infrastructure. 
Oh boy, more to come on this, folks. Definitely worth a closer watch. With that, let's move on to your second brief of the morning. And for this one, grab your passport and map if you've got one and come with me as we head to Asia this morning. And we're heading to the Far East because there is a battle for supremacy and influence in that region between China and the United States. Today, we are going to focus on the fight to control the high seas from the Pacific all the way to the Indian Ocean. And that's because both countries want to control those bodies of water for both the military advantages, but also to secure the trade routes. So let me explain by focusing on three bodies of water that you need to know about that impact you and your families more than you probably ever imagined. So if you've got a map, I want you to look for the Strait of Taiwan. So as the name suggests, it's a stretch of water that sits between China and Taiwan. Each year, over a trillion dollars worth of goods pass through those waters. That's according to the Council on Foreign Relations. Those goods, by the way, include upwards of 80% of the world's computer chips produced by Taiwanese and South Korean companies. And without those chips, folks, our lives would be thrown back a hundred plus years in time. Modern life would come to an end. All right, that's the first body of water, the Strait of Taiwan. Let's look for our second chunk of very important water. I want you to direct your eyes south of the Strait of Taiwan to an area that sits inside a, a perimeter of countries like the Philippines, Malaysia, and Indonesia. So that area is called the South China Sea, and it is vitally important for around a third of all global trade. In fact, most of the clothes, either on your body or in your closet right now, probably went through the South China Sea. America, in fact, imports around 95% of our clothes, most of which transits that South China Sea. So if we want clothes, then huh, that body of water is pretty darn important. All right, let's now head to our third and final stretch of ocean that we should definitely know about in this region. If you look closely to that area between the countries of Malaysia and Indonesia, there's a vital, very narrow body of water called the Strait of Malacca. And if you haven't heard about this Strait of Malacca, boy, I am glad we're talking about it today. Through those waters, pass upwards of $5 trillion worth of goods each year, most especially oil from the Middle East to Asia and beyond. The point, folks, is that whichever country controls these three bodies of water, again, the Straits of Taiwan, Malacca, and the South China Sea, well, that country that controls those areas controls the fate of Asia and the world, especially because of those computer chips that we all need, say nothing about the clothes. And that's why China and the United States have been wrestling over this region for years, both openly and with, uh, well, guys like me in the world of espionage. And that, folks, is the critical background that you need to know for the news that I will be providing you today. And that is a major development out of the country of the Philippines. The Presidential Communications Office in the capital city of Manila announced yesterday that the government of the Philippines was authorizing the U.S. government to use four additional military bases in their country. And that brings the number up to nine. So one of the new bases will be on an island situated near the South China Sea. And the other, 
It's an island that sits 250 miles from the Strait of Taiwan. So in exchange for these basing rights, the U.S. military will give the Philippines about well, $84 plus million plus in infrastructure upgrades, at least according to local press. Plus, the Philippines gets something else, protection. Manila, folks, doesn't have the Navy or the Army to properly defend itself or its claims of the South China Sea, especially from an adversary like Beijing. But Uncle Sam sure does. So let's see how China responds to this news, but you can expect that uh, they won't be too happy. In the meantime, we have got another island to talk about as a part of this uh, battle between China and the United States. And this very little island in the middle of nowhere is wrapped in a real mystery that spy satellites are trying to solve this morning. So I want you to look at your maps again, and I want you to travel northwest out of the Strait of Malacca. All right, you're traveling in the Indian Ocean now on your way to a country called Myanmar. Some people call it by its old name of Burma. Either way, in the middle of the Indian Ocean, there is a tiny group of islands called the Cocoa Islands. They belong to Myanmar, technically, but somebody else really wants control over them. And that somebody is China. You see, China knows that the Strait of Malacca is a, it's a choke point. If they lose access to it, or there's a, a war in the South China Sea, they are in big trouble. So they're looking for a route that bypasses that Strait of Malacca and gets them directly into the Indian Ocean and points beyond. And folks, that route, that bypass, is the country of Myanmar. It's a neighboring country on the Chinese border, and it has direct port access to the Indian Ocean. And it also has some very little dots of land in that big sea called the Cocoa Islands. And that, folks, is the background we need to understand our very mysterious and curious news. In late January, the satellite company Maxar Technologies released imagery showing that this otherwise very sleepy chain of islands, specifically one called the Great Cocoa Island, it's not so sleepy anymore. The runway on that island has been extended by over a thousand meters. Meanwhile, somebody is building two new hangars as well. Lastly, there has been a much-debated radar station on that island that, for years, military observers have suspected is an intelligence base, perhaps operated by China. Now, not surprisingly, both China and Myanmar are denying everything about developments on these Cocoa Islands. By the way, if you're wondering, why would Myanmar be so gracious to help out China? Well, the nation is run by a military government, or something called a junta, and not a democracy. And that has led countries in Europe and the West, to include the United States, to sanction these guys. That's cratered their Burmese or Myanmar economy. So the leaders of this country have turned to Beijing for help, giving them, well, something in return. At any rate, folks, I'll keep you posted on this and more generally about news in these very critical bodies of water, because... As you'll see in future right reports, that region, folks, is heating up with tensions. And whatever happens there, it could have a profound impact on all of us. 
With that, ladies and gentlemen, let's take our first break of the morning. Now, most of you won't hear any ads over the next couple of minutes. I wanted to give you all a few weeks without interruption. So stretch those legs, sip on that cup of coffee or juice, and we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue our news this morning. We've got a very sober lesson from the COVID pandemic to talk about. But first, to understand this latest news, let's refresh our memories about a very strange affliction that was hospitalizing and killing children around the world starting in late 2021. So as COVID lockdowns were ending and we all started interacting again, thousands of kids in Europe America, the Middle East, and Asia started getting desperately sick with a form of hepatitis that was destroying their livers. So, for instance, in the United States, the CDC reported 390 cases in 48 states of kids suffering from severe acute hepatitis, in other cases, liver failure and even death. So the hunt was on globally to figure out what was going on. Well, late last week, we got some answers. And it all has to do with locking down our kids because of COVID. So here's what we know. Research published last Thursday in the journal Nature showed that an otherwise pretty benign virus called the adeno-associated virus 2 or AAV2, it was present in 93% of these devastating liver cases. But importantly, NBC News is reporting that the researchers found that AAV2 wasn't acting alone. It needed some helper viruses, three others specifically, to get into liver cells. But how is it that this onslaught of four viruses would somehow suddenly get together and attack the bodies of children all at once? Well, according to the senior study author, Dr. Charles Chu, who's the director of the University of California's San Francisco's Clinical Microbiology Laboratory, it all has to do with COVID lockdowns. So once the restrictions began to be lifted, kids were suddenly exposed to multiple viruses all at once. And that was terrible for kids under the age of 10 because, as the doctor said, quote, this is precisely the time period in which immune systems are being formed. So what I suspect has happened is that for this certain population of young children, their immune development was disrupted because of the two years of lockdowns, end quote. Right? But that's not the worst of it. Dr. Chu added that other young children around the world, not yet impacted by this liver disease, may actually present with future problems because their immune systems were also delayed or impacted in, in ways that right now we can't predict. Here's his quote. We need to be alert for the possibility that we may be seeing unusual disease manifestations such as hepatitis in the future in this very young population, end quote. So, look, there is some good news here, and that is that these extreme cases of liver damage and death appear to be dissipating globally. And that would suggest that kids and their immune systems are slowly adjusting. So those are the facts and the data this morning on this legacy of COVID lockdowns. Let me now pivot to my analysis and recommendations. So for parents who had kids under the age of 10 during the COVID era, you are now empowered with the knowledge that if your kiddo struggles with immune-related ailments or things like liver inflammation, there's a likely culprit. 
And to be clear, the culprit here isn't some AAV2 virus, although that's certainly involved. What I mean is that the real culprit was locking down otherwise healthy kids, kids that needed normal colds and flus to to challenge and build their immune systems. Perhaps that's something that we would be wise to remember if, God forbid, we are ever stricken again with a new pandemic. Let's hope that that is not our fate. But if so, I think we ought to keep in mind the lessons from this last one. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. So enjoy this break, which might be ad-free. But regardless, we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. As always, this part of the podcast will usually be where I share with you a a listener question or some feedback that you all have sent in via email. And we're going to probably do that later this week. But today I wanted to share another personal message with you, and it's about the former U.S. President Donald Trump, who is expected to be surrendered at the Manhattan District Attorney's Office this morning. When he arrives, he will be told that he's under arrest pursuant to the indictment. He will then be fingerprinted and maybe photographed for a mugshot, which uh, at this point is up in the air because apparently various news outlets are saying that there is concern that that mugshot would be immediately leaked. And that's probably true. So as we learn about the charges in that sealed indictment later today, there will be a lot of press and a lot of conversation about what everyone thinks about the charges. But I actually think that there's a bigger story here that deserves our consideration and reflection in the midst of all of the hecticness of the next couple of hours. And that is this. Last Thursday, the former Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, one of the most senior Democrats in all of America, tweeted out a statement regarding the indictment of Donald Trump. And here is what she said. Quote, the grand jury has acted upon the facts and the law. No one is above the law, and everyone has the right to a trial to prove innocence. Hopefully, the former president will peacefully respect this system, which grants him that right. End quote. Now, there's something very important that she said here. Did you catch it? She said that everyone has the right to a trial to, quote, prove innocence, end quote. But as most of you know, that's not how the rule of law works in the United States. People are assumed to be innocent. They don't have to prove anything. Instead, it's the burden of the government or the prosecutor to prove guilt of the accused. Right? This idea of innocent until proven guilty, that is absolutely and unquestionably the foundation of our free society for any free society. Because otherwise, a government or prosecutor can charge you with a crime, no matter how outrageous or false, and it is you that faces the burden of proving you're innocent. And that kind of system is disastrous because it leads to to governmental abuse and unjust persecution. Now, Ms. Pelosi, of course, knows this. We all do. And yet, Last Thursday, she issued a statement that Donald Trump has to prove his innocence. And it's a statement 
folks, that has been viewed 24.2 million times by people all around the world on Twitter. Now, as we consider these facts, it's possible that Miss Pelosi simply made a mistake. You know, we all garble our words from time to time. We misspeak. But when we do, especially when the facts are so clearly and unquestionably not on our side, like in this case, we generally correct the record. But Miss Pelosi hasn't. And that's despite the fact that her office was asked for multiple comments multiple times by an assortment of press outlets. And she and her staff have chosen to keep the tweet up for tens of millions of people around the world to view. So what does that suggest? Well, if this same scenario were happening abroad and I were briefing you on some foreign leader doing this, here would be my assessment, which you can take or leave. Since Pelosi's statement is still up, despite it being wildly incorrect and in, frankly, direct violation of how U.S. law works, so we can reasonably assume that the statement is not a mistake. It's a declaration. It's a declaration of a new type of justice by one of the most powerful politicians in the country. In her view, the accused are presumed guilty, no matter the crime or evidence. Folks, when I have seen this in other countries, it's a sign of decline. It's a signal that parties or politicians are embracing power at the expense of liberty and justice. It is an ominous sign. But to be clear, this isn't happening in some faraway land. It's happening here in our country, contrary to the Constitution and the established rule of law. So that's what I would encourage you to reflect on today as you read the headlines or listen to reports about the indictment of Donald Trump. Because it doesn't matter if you like the man or you plan to vote for him. As an American citizen, he is not required to prove his innocence. The government is required to prove his guilt, despite the proclamation by Nancy Pelosi. So I'm going to let you decide what this all means and what we should do about it, Trump aside. But as for me, I'm going to keep my eye on this, folks, because a fair and impartial justice system is the foundation of a healthy republic. And statements like Ms. Pelosi's suggest that our foundation is starting to crack. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, let me leave you with the words that inspire me. They're the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.